Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Why was it that a black member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints could be treated one way in California and be treated another way in the South? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We continue looking at the subject of racism in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, how it was something that actually affected teachings in the church, prohibited black members, for instance, from holding the priesthood clear up until 1978. We're looking at the book Saints, Boldly, Nobly, and Independent. This is the third of four volumes of history that is put out by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This particular volume, Volume 3 of Saints, was published in 2022. Again, I want to state that I appreciate the fact that the Church is discussing this sensitive issue because it does not have a very favorable history when it comes to race, and at least they are admitting a lot of things, although there are some statements in here that I think should have been clarified a little bit better. But in yesterday's show, we were talking about the statement on the top of page 245 that Eric read where he said, Few people in the United States or elsewhere believe black and white people should mingle socially. We can only assume from that statement that that would also have to include members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Then the book went on to give the story of a black couple, Marie and William Graves. I think it would be important, Eric, if you read that paragraph again, because it kind of sets the stage for what we want to talk about. In the church, wards and branches were officially open to all people, regardless of race. Yet not all congregations agreed. In 1920, black Latter-day Saints Marie and William Graves were welcome and fully integrated members of their branch in California. When Marie visited a branch in the southern United States, however, she was asked to leave because of the color of her skin. Quote, I never had nothing to hurt me like that in all of my life, end quote, she wrote in a letter to President Grant. Now, you would think, as I mentioned yesterday, that in a church that's run from the top down, and let's not forget, Heber J. Grant was the president of the church between 1918 and 1945. And this is, as you can see, was dated in 1920. So Heber J. Grant is the president of the church. You would think that Grant would have the ability to make a course correction here, but we don't see anywhere in the book that it talks about that. It sounds like it was completely ignored. Grant was not going to tackle this subject. We were talking yesterday about the difference between policy and doctrine, but don't you think if it was the doctrine of the church that blacks would not have the ability to go to the temple and do work for themselves, then the policy is going to filter over to the membership. And so it would seem like if you were in the southern United States and racism was very prevalent, you would naturally just go ahead and not allow this black woman from California, a more liberal state perhaps, to join in with your congregation. And yet, doesn't Heber J. Grant have the obligation to do what the Lord wants and not to have prejudice amongst their own people? The way you said that, Eric, I think states the problem. 
they think the Lord wants it that way. In other words, he wants them segregated. Now, does he want members of the church to treat somebody with black skin differently like this? I wouldn't go so far as to say that. But you can understand why the members would have those kind of feelings, because this is kind of ingrained in them as to these are what we would consider to be somewhat second-class members in the church. They don't have the same privileges that I do as, let's say, a white member of the church or even a Polynesian member of the church. They also had privileges that blacks didn't even have at that time. Bill, I'm just wondering if there was not this idea that blacks should not be able to hold the priesthood, if they had allowed blacks to hold the priesthood in their religion, do you think that maybe Grant would have approached this in a different way and maybe have corrected what really, as we can look at in the 21st century, is wrong, but maybe because of that doctrine that really superseded anything logical that he could have said back and say, you should have been allowed to have gone to this congregation, there's no reason for them to have not allowed you to attend. To kind of leapfrog off of what you just said, you would think that if Grant had intervened, that they would have included it in the book. Sure. And he would have reprimanded whoever was telling this couple that they should not be in that church service because of their skin color. We don't read anywhere that Grant intervened in that case. I think what you're saying is is probably very correct. Grant's going along with it because that's just the way it is, even in the LDS church. Now, the next statement says, to prepare the earth for the Lord's return, church leaders knew the restored gospel must be taught to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It continues, for decades, the saints had actively preached among other people of color, including Native Americans, Pacific Islanders, and Latin Americans. But centuries-old obstacles, including racism, stood in the way of taking the gospel to all the world. Now, I'm going to stop you there, Eric, because when I read that paragraph, and I even asked you when we were discussing it as we're getting ready to record, when it says, but centuries-old obstacles, including racism, stood in the way of taking the gospel to all the world. I asked you, when you read that statement, do you not get the impression that it's the racism of those outside of the church that's standing in the way of taking the gospel to all the world? Or do you think it's the racism within the church that's standing in the way of taking the gospel to all the world? I don't think it sounds like the latter. I, I think the insinuation is that it's not their fault, the century old, centuries-old obstacles. And some of those obstacles we, we talked about. Perhaps the ability to get to other nations. You didn't just take a jet plane across the oceans and the money it would have cost and all of that. But then those aren't things that anybody can help. But including racism, it sounds like that's just a general problem, but it's not being pointed back to the people of the leadership of the LDS Church, for sure. Well, the reason why we ask that question, folks, is because there's a little portion of LDS history that's probably not well known at all. And Gerald and Sandra Tanner addresses this in their book, Mormonism, Shadow or Reality. They also address it in their book, The Curse of Cain, Racism in the Mormon Church. And I might mention, we carry both of these books at the Utah Christian Research Center if you want to check out this story. But it has to do with an announcement that the church made in January of 1963 
when the church announced that they were going to send a mission to the country of Nigeria. And of course, that's a big deal at this time. 1963, they're going to send missionaries to Nigeria. That seems a little odd considering all of the problems that they have when it comes to black members. And like we've been discussing, the inequality that black members had in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Well, what happened? There was a student that was attending school in the United States, and he ends up writing an article that is published in a Nigerian newspaper. The Nigerian Outlook is what it was called, where he's talking about the racist doctrines of the church at that time. And the Tanners tend to give credit to this individual, this student, plus the editor of the newspaper itself, for preventing the church from being able to come and set up a mission in Nigeria. So when it says centuries-old obstacles, including racism, stood in the way of taking the gospel to all the world, if you look at it in light of that historical incident— It sounds like it was the racism of the Mormon church that prevented them from taking what they call the gospel to all the world, or at least into portions of the world that had those of African heritage. The book doesn't bring this out, though. Again, when you read that sentence, when it says, but centuries-old obstacles, including racism, stood in the way of taking the gospel to all the world— It doesn't seem to give the impression from that sentence that it's the church's racism that prevented them from doing that, not racism from outside of the church. Bill, the next paragraph says, in the case of Marie Graves, the First Presidency did not ask the congregation to integrate for fear that challenging racial codes like those in the South put both black and white saints at risk. Nor did church leaders encourage active proselytizing among black communities since the church restricted priesthood or nation and temple blessings from the people of African descent. Bill, if you ask me, this is a very weak paragraph because they can't go against the social norms and so they're going to have to just let it go. And Bill, the title of this book, volume three, is called Saints, Boldly nobly and independent. I don't see anything bold about this. I don't see anything noble about how the leadership acted. And certainly, I don't see anything independent if they're just doing what the culture is telling them what to do. Imagine what Marie Graves is thinking when she gets this reply, or lack of a reply, you might say, from the church, who doesn't do anything about this. I can't imagine. If I was a person like Marie Graves bringing something like this that you know is wrong. You just know it's wrong. That's not the way you would think a church that claims to be Christian should behave. And I would even say that for those who were perhaps evangelicals at that time who behaved that way. I would still be offering the same condemnation. But she goes to a man who she thinks is a prophet of God, who has the total control over the church to make a decision and get it right And Heber J. Grant and all of his other leaders, they don't get it right. They miss an opportunity to do what is right. I I can only imagine the despair someone like Marie Graves might have had wondering, what's the matter with these guys? How come they don't see something that's so plain? Well, I think it's because they were pointing to what they believe 
to be a doctrine from the church that blacks should not be allowed to hold the priesthood, and they had reasons for believing that doctrine. It didn't just come up out of thin air, as the church wants us to believe today, where all these reasons are just speculation. I don't think guys like Heber J. Grant looked at those as just mere speculations. President Grant had the ability here to take the high road, and he doesn't. That sentence in the beginning of that paragraph is very telling. It says, in the case of Marie Graves, the first presidency did not ask the congregation to integrate for fear that challenging racial codes like those in the South put both black and white saints at risk. Really? Because possibly somebody's not going to like it. Maybe they're going to do a drive-by shooting or whatever the situation is. Do the right thing. Integrity says you do the right thing regardless of the ramifications. And we don't want to minimize what this is actually saying. It probably would put members in some kind of risk because that's the way people do behave. And we see it today. I mean, if you just disagree with someone on a certain issue, we see it all the time. Look how you're treated. Either you're canceled or whatever. But we still see that same thing going on today, and I'm sure it happened back then. I'm not trying to downplay the fact that there would be risks for making that kind of decision, but I think you're right, Eric. There's a time when you just have to do what's right. You would think that if you're doing what God wants you to do, that that would be worth the risk that you might take. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.